This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. tuned in to westworld fm a podcast about hbo's westworld my name is alex and i am john today we will be discussing season two episode three of westworld titled virtue e fortuna and while we will not be discussing the next time on preview at the end of the show we will be spoiling everything through season two episode three of the series so please pause and go catch up if you're not current on the show you can find more episodes of our podcast at westworld.fm. We're also Westworld FM on Twitter, and you can send feedback to westworldfm at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our show and share your thoughts on HBO's Westworld. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Westworld or our podcast. If you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash midwestpodnet. That's M-I-D-W-E-S-T-P-O-D-N-E-T. And pledge as little as a dollar a month to help us make our network even better. That includes helping us cover the costs of hosting these podcast episodes and our internet stuff. We are not quite at the goal of being completely in the black. Right. But we're about halfway there, and it's exciting. So thank you to everybody who's donated to us, and special thanks to Jason K., who's pledged at the level of $10 a month. Thanks, Jason. Yes. Uh, Nick is not quite back from his uh his honeymoon but he will be he may never return he he will return no mentally i mean he's in a different world That's true. Now. yeah he might be like a like a office space kind of situation yeah. Mar- he'll, he'll he'll come back in in his body form but. i've always been told never to get married but i'm getting married in like four months so <laughs> no uh he will return he will be back uh hope hoping for next week um everybody hit him up on twitter at nick blauvelt Tell him that you want him back. I'll come back anyways. Yeah, there you go. Um, but in the meantime, we do have some corrections. Uh, last week, I mentioned that Arnold's house that he was showing Dolores looked like the Ennis house. Yeah. The Frank Lloyd Wright Ennis house. Turns out it is an actual Frank Lloyd Wright house in Pasadena, California. Yes. Called the Millard House. Um, they shot supposedly shot on location at the house. Oh, so, right on. That's cool. Um yeah, it is a real house that exists. <laughs> it's not in weird neo-China city. Right. But it does exist. So we did get some emails sent to westworldfm at gmail.com. Fred C. wrote in. He said, welcome back. Glad you guys are back on the podcast airwaves for the new season. I'm slightly delayed in chiming in with my wild speculations to kick out the season, but glad, glad to throw them out there anyway. First, I want to say that you guys blew my mind with the Jim Delos as Abernathy theory. Holy shit, that seems completely plausible to me. I need to go back and watch the first couple episodes in season one to see if there are any tells that hint at that other than his reaction to the photo. Fred, please write in. Let us know if you find I, uh, anything. I blew my own mind with that one. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good... The the pieces are there for it to be true, I think. Yeah. But we'll see if they if they decide to go that direction. Uh, he wrote in here, said, where is Westworld? According to another podcast that I listened to, Decoding Westworld, which is a very good, uh, it's David Chen and Jonah Rab- Robinson, who may have inspired us to do shows such as Gone to Texas and Westworld FM. Uh, season two, episode one, 29 minutes and two seconds in. Last season on HBO Go, the scene where Maeve is looking at her paper with the location of her daughter. The finished subtitles actually give coordinates that reference an island in the South China Sea called Mischief Reef. 
some of the reveal with some of the reveals of this season that makes a lot of sense. I still am not taking that as canon, but I don't have any reason to think it's not true with the Chinese right. army that's there. And also, I think a lot of people, some people at least walked away with us thinking that it was actually Los Angeles. I don't think it's Los Angeles. I, I like my dystopian American future. You can you can live with that, but I think it's actually just some mock-up fake Asian city. Yeah. Fake future Asian city that they made up. Um, so we'll see. If they ever give us any more on that, I don't even necessarily know that they need to, but we'll see if they do. Uh, Fred also says, my wild theory, I think that Bernard is not himself, literally. I think that someone else's brain egg has been placed in him. My vote is Dolores. Had hers dropped into him to allow her to escape. From the way that he was looking unfamiliar, unfamiliarly at his hands, to his confusion, to his revelation, I killed them all. It hints that someone is actually wearing a Bernard skin suit. Q Buffalo Bill scene from Silence of the Lambs, LOL. <laughs> uh, I have seen this theory out there that Bernard is not himself. Yeah. I don't think it's true because the way that the editing of the show shows Bernard focusing on his hand that's shaking and then having him like slip through time backwards into like a previous time state. Mm-hmm. If If he's Dolores, then he wouldn't have those memories to slip back to. Right. So, I think that theory in particular is 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 not quite correct. Is it plausible? For sure. Like, we know that these hosts have mind eggs. We haven't seen what happens when you take one out and put it into another body. Right. But I would assume that there's some weird cognitive dissonance that occurs and makes them all bewildered and kind of, like, weirded out. Um, but I don't think that the two weeks later Bernard is somebody else. I think I think he's got to be... Bernard, <laughs> we'll or maybe see. if he if he keeps injecting himself with the goo or whatever, like maybe that's like some genetic coding stuff too. That's like he's getting bits and pieces of of other other hosts like into his brain goo. Maybe, yeah. We don't know how. We have literally no idea how any of that works. Yeah, but we'll see. Uh, he had a question here uh, in the scene where Dolores and her crew are at the remote for refurbishment outpost. She wipes the moisture from the board member's face and has a flashback to Arnold's, a.k.a. Bernard's home, where she is also touching moisture on the wall. This seemed odd to me because when her and Arnold visited this house, it wasn't raining. So shouldn't there be moisture on the wall? Uh, do you think this means that she had another visit to the house that we haven't seen yet? I've got nothing else. Welcome back. That's not true because he wrote back here in a second as well. <laughs> I was thinking about that too and it seemed weird like she certainly does the time slippage thing it's her touching her fingers in front of the blocks that are at Arnold's house yeah but there's no there wasn't any moisture on them she does touch them at one point um she could be rolling a booger uh, yeah it's possible i think it we've seen a lot of these hosts focusing on their hands and like tactile feelings that are taking them back through their memories so I think it's less of like the, I think it might be less of moisture. Like the even even in that flashback scene when you look at the wall, it doesn't look to me like there's any moisture on the wall. But it's her just kind of rubbing her hands together after touching the wall. And it makes me think like she's just, it's that little little bit of muscle memory or something that took her back to that moment. Right. I don't think it's so much that, it, I totally think she could have visited the house again. So we could certainly see that be the case. Yeah, I mean that seems pretty plausible. Yeah, so it's I need 
I'm not going to rule it out, but I don't know that we can put too much stock into it. Yet. Right. So uh, Fred also wrote in, he said, as one of your African-American listeners, I can tell you that I was not the least bit offended by black Dallas employee being taken by Dolores to do her bidding. I looked at it as him being a hostage as opposed to him being taken as a servant. He's not being degraded or treated less than. He's there because he has a specific skill in helping her raise her army. Uh, that's great. No, yeah, that's, that's exactly perf- the perfect kind of response. perspective that I was looking for. So it, it's not. It wasn't so much that I was trying to be offended on behalf of anybody. I was just wondering how people of color felt about that. So thank you, Fred, for writing in. Uh, but no, great feedback. Thanks again. Yes, thank you. Um, one of our friends from season one did write in. He said, uh, this is Alan. He said, Los Angeles must change quite a bit if they stopped using English. He sent me a picture of the Space 49 characters that were on the <laughs> on the sign there. And I said, there's English on there. It could be part of a Chinatown. Two of the tallest, most recognizable buildings are definitely in L.A. I think they just mixed a few cities together digitally. And he said, skylines are faked all the time and effects work. So the only thing I paid attention to was how there were no signs or billboards any city skyline usually has big signs on various buildings, but they made a point to only show this one bit of writing. And he said, I would use the let's show Chinese characters as a clue more than a fake skyline, especially since they already introduced us to the Chinese soldiers. And uh, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. He did mention, he said to us here, I'm not listening to any podcast this season except yours, but you may want to go back and watch those city scenes again. There's something else, dot, 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 dot. And then he wrote back and said, never mind, I did a search and everyone is already onto this, but it feels good to figure stuff out independently. <laughs> and I asked him twice what he was speaking of and he didn't respond to me. So, so you got to go back and do it yourself. I sat there, I watched it twice and I was like, I don't see anything. The, the, there is a futuristic car on the road at one point. Um, there's only like a few people that walk by, but I, it, I, don't, I couldn't glean any other real information yeah. off of the streets that they show. So. Interesting. I'll have to go back and take a look, too. Yeah. Um, And then there was one other quick piece of feedback that we got here. Uh, Sue wrote in. Sue came to us in the Alienist recap. Okay. She joined us at that adventure. She said, you guys are doing a great job. Westworld is a very difficult show to recap. You never know if you should take it as as it is or read into every little detail. Dodgy discourse, are you kidding me? No way. So I posted an article where um, Lifehacker, I believe, was... Uh, taking a look at a bunch of different Westworld podcasts, and they relegated us to the, if you don't like these first three that we've talked about, there's a whole bunch of other ones that are that have shoddy production and dodgy discourse. And I was like, oh, well, that's great. <laughs> that feels awesome. But anyway, thank you, Sue, for playing into my own neuroses about our podcast. And right. Paying us the compliment that I was apparently fishing for. So, um, But yeah, other than that, I think we are ready to keep going let's jump into it so once again we get another cold open the second cold open of the show i wonder if this is just how it's going to be from the from here on out yeah uh they said uh so we're introduced to the raj which is the name of the colonial indian world as given on the delos destinations website that is affiliated with hbo yep so we're introduced to the raj a colonial india park where guests can go on safaris and hunt bengal tigers a strapping blonde man attempts to seduce a brunette woman. We don't know who is a host, but she shoots him and the blonde man or she shoots the blonde man to learn that he is a guest and then has sex with him. Uh, we did get a sweet sitar cover of seven the White Stripe Seven Nation Army. It was quite good. Uh, some awesome Ramin Javadi uh, arrangement going on there. Um, 
a few other things to note about this. There's some people, there's a lot of theories about who this girl is. And some people were like, oh, it's it's William's daughter. It's Emily. Yeah. Uh, she's credited as Grace. And there are some things on the website that note that there is a Grace Ha, who is a QA customer relations or human human resources QA person. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't really know who she is, but we know that she has been to the park several times is something that the actress has revealed in interviews. Okay. So I don't think she's Emily. She could be. We'll find out, I guess. Maybe she changed her name for anonymity. Potentially. Maybe she doesn't want to be anything. Doesn't want to be treated differently in the park. Or she doesn't want to be known. She, we know that Emily resents William for what he did to his wife, essentially. For, like, essentially causing her to kill herself. So, yeah, maybe she wants nothing to do with him. But she still loves the Raj, apparently. Um. What did you think about the idea that, like, you don't know if you're hooking up with another guest or a host, I, so you I shoot think, each other? I mean, it's a new way to handle Tinder, I suppose. Like, instead of swiping right, you can <laughs> shoot someone in the chest <laughs> with a gun. Um, Are you I don't not? condone that action, by the way. Um, yeah. But, no, I it was... Uh, is it, I mean, that's, that's the whole point of the park, is to, like, make it as immersive as possible. Yeah. So, the fact that she... She's kind of into that and is like, okay, like I don't necessarily want to like hook up with hosts. Like I'd rather have an, a connection with an, an actual human being and yeah. know that it's like a real connection and not one that's like pr- been pre-programmed. I think that's that's an interesting. Uh, well, the other interesting thing about it is that when he sits down at the table and starts talking to her, this Indian man walks up and it says, "The governor yeah. has invited you," and he's like, "I don't care." It's like the park has these things built in to pull hosts or to pull guests apart to give them their own like special their own storylines. Yeah. But it's weird to me that like I guess we could read into that as being if it's two guests sleeping with each other, then they can't extract that DNA off. Right. They can't get that. Like she even she uh, did. She say it or did he say that they're they're clearly trying to keep them separated. He mentioned something about it. Uh, later on, he does say, you think the park would go through the trouble of having one of them pretend to be one of us? And she's looking at herself in the mirror and says, I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah. Which is the first line of dialogue that makes me think she knows more about the park than she's leading on to. Right. Um, well, that, that leads back to our whole theory last time about how they could be using this DNA to make... Uh, clones essentially yeah that's host, true host clones of Ho- actual of, humans who have visited the park yeah yeah that's that's entirely possible too so it it, i feel like there's a lot in this first scene that you can even kind of tease apart from yeah. the small details that uh that do happen i will say the director of this episode did do an interview and came out and stated definitively that the guns are programmed to know what is a host and what's a human and if they know they're pointed at a human they're supposed to fire slowly so that the the bullet just kind of gives you a welt like a paintball. But it is still a bullet. It's still a bullet. Interesting. While you point it at a host and it will fire at terminal, like full, the, the, full, the required yeah. velocity to pierce the flesh, essentially. Yeah. So um, in terms of the time frame of when this scene happens, he gets shot 
and I think that means, and it bounces off of him, whereas later on we know that all the guns are able to hurt humans. Right. So we know we we know that this must this first scene here is happening sometime before Ford kills himself. Right. Before he hits the switch to let everything start taking effect. Yep. Um so that's interesting at least. But um we can move on to the next scene. The man and the woman pull up to a tent on their safari trail to rest, but they find something strange when she realizes that there are guests there that are that were killed and their host tries to kill them. The blonde man dies, but the woman gets away, only to be hunted by a tiger. She makes her way to the boundary of the park, but the tiger pursues her to a cliff. She manages to get another shot off just as the tiger leaps, and they both tumble into the water below. Um, we get like a little bit of an Indian layer over the Westworld theme in the scene, yeah. which I thought was very cool. Uh, she opens up her notebook, which she was protective of in that first scene, yep. and she's got this like intertwined hexagon symbol i saw that that is actually we've seen it at least two other times one time is later in this episode when bernard unlocks the package that's in abernathy's head okay the other time is when charlotte hale is trying to communicate in the first episode to like to get somebody to come and extract her so it's on those computers down in the dna extraction lab okay so it's weird that she's got it on like a map it's like, I'm, I'm wondering what the symbol means. Right, I don't know and if she's, she hand drew that map, too. So. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if she's seen it anywhere else in, or I don't know if we've seen it anywhere else in the series. Yeah. I don't know if it's anywhere in season one hidden. I'm sure there, someone There was it. an article. I don't know if it was like AV Club or who, but somebody was posting about uh, the repetition of certain shapes and, and signs, like in the current season. Um, specifically, going back to the house, uh bernard's house yeah with the cross and the, the crosses four dots. yeah the four crosses or whatever like what that's or that symbol shows up in like a whole bunch of different scenes so yeah. but who knows what that means when there were people going back to like finding out that it used to mean in like old cartography or something like that, that there are rocks at the bottom of like a a body of water or something like that like something like it's a danger to not leap like it's too uh, shallow gotcha. ground or something like that but that's a whole nother level of dissecting that we're not i mean yeah maybe that's just the symbol that we're only on the surface exactly yeah maybe um so the their their guide's name is ganju the host that that shoots the blonde guy he does say these violent delights have violent ends which is interesting um the blonde the blonde man says maybe they're giving us our private or privacy he says privacy yeah. And then she says, that's not how this works, which is another line of like. She knows something that she, we don't. Yeah. She knows that like the hosts are there to do to, to keep. Yeah. There's, there's a task to do stuff for them. Yeah. There's some bigger thing. Right. Um, so that was interesting. The other thing is that I heard this the first time I watched. I heard it a little bit. It sounded like there was like a vocal track to the music but it turns out that as she's like approaching the edge of the park you can hear and turn on like the subtitles it yeah says, it was like attention you have reached the boundary of the guest experience area please turn back please turn back and yes please twice very interesting that we see that there's some type of laser fence that i presume is supposed to stop the hosts and, and animals but clearly it was Doesn't. malfunctioning but um no, that tiger looked real good. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. 
it was a pretty that would be a pretty interesting encounter <laughs> like like i it, it makes me wonder how that would have functioned in if it were not malfunctioning like what would that tiger be doing i think like they were on a safari to hunt the bengal tiger was yeah. what it was and he was just i mean he was hiding in the brush like that's what he does that's yeah. what those tigers do but like i'm wondering would the tiger have like leapt out at her the same way, how much danger do they really get in right. in the Raj? I don't really know. Like, I, I just find that kind of an interesting question. So, Well, I think it would also, like, the other hosts that are there to, like, kind of facilitate the experience are probably there to protect whoever yeah, the human. They can probably, like, intervene and get mauled. Right. <laughs> but but the tiger can't actually harm the... Right. Interesting. You can get scratched, you know, get, get a couple, uh, get some cat scratch fever. Yeah. But that's about it. <laughs> All right, uh, and yeah, as soon as she leapt, up, or as soon as they let the the tiger pushed her off the edge, there, I was like, oh, this is how that tiger ended up in West. Yeah, so yep. that was made that connection. That too. was pretty cool. Uh, then we get the opening. We can move on to the third scene. Bernard and the extraction team head into the mesa. This is taking place. So, all right, that whole first op- cold open sequence. Must have taken place like the day that Ford died. Right, like two weeks ago. Yeah. So in the in the two weeks ago time frame, he she shoots the blonde guy. He just gets the welt on him, and then later on in that day, or however long it takes them to go on their safari thing, whenever they get to that tent, has to be post, um, post Ford's death. Yes. Because then the guns are working on the humans. So that's kind of where we were in that time frame. But in the next scene, when Bernard and the extraction team head into the Mesa, we are now back to the two weeks after Ford is dead. Yes. Um, Bernard and the team head into the Mesa. It's a mess. The control room is down and there, there are floors on fire, but they're clear to enter. They meet up with Charlotte Hale, who is in cold storage with a small group of people who are sealing body bags. No idea if they're hosts or humans, essentially. It looks like there's charred remains of some kind. I don't know exactly what they're doing, but they're cleaning up. Hale asked what took the team so long and if they found what she asked for yet, meaning Peter Abernathy, but they haven't. Uh, it appears that Peter keeps slipping away from them, and she asks Bernard where he may be, but Bernard slips back in time. Uh so the the black woman that's out there on the extraction team comes to like give the recon report to S- Carl Strand, the dude yeah. who's who's there, and she says something about the cradle, and I just took the cradle to be like the control room or something of that sort. However, apparently on the websites asso- associated with the show, there was something that mentions that the cradle is actually like the simulation um it's like a simulation engine for the experiences in the park it's like this actual so here's 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 what it says on the website it says inside delos learn about the simulation technology that stores and tests all of our storylines the cradle delos's time capsule that ensures you get the immersive and dynamic experience you deserve so it's the Delos RPG maker. Yeah, it's like it, it's like now it, available on Steam for fifteen ninety nine. <laughs> Maybe it's just their like their 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 command center communication brain big park computer of some kind that actually automates and makes things work and everything. But the 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 woman on the team says that the cradle is 
is down. Like the cradle is not operational essentially. Right. So I found that interesting. Um, so yeah, Charlotte says to Bernard, uh, you made it out alive. Didn't think you had it in you. What the hell took you guys so long? Carl Strand is also looking for Peter Abernathy on behalf of Charlotte Hale. So it's kind of weird to me that there's another Delos presence there working to capture Abernathy, even though they haven't gotten him out yet. Kind of wondering because because they when she writes that um, the the encrypted communication, they're like, we're not sending anybody until you get us our package. And they yes. still don't have the package, so why did Strand end up on the island? Is the weird question to me. But Hale asks, "What about you, Bernard? Do you know where Peter Abernathy is? He seems to be slipping away from us." Um, she seems very skeptical of Bernard. It's weird to her that he's still surviving, and she's just very—I don't know. She's very hesitant, and she like doesn't quite understand what is up with Bernard as of yet. Like even this two weeks later, I don't know if she's fully figured out that he's a host yet. Right. But we do see him slip in time uh, all the way back to the days after Ford's death. Uh, did you have anything else about that scene? Uh, I just I was I wanted to look up the etymology of the term cradle, but uh, figurative sense of the place where any person or thing is nurtured in the early stages of existence. I find to be an intriguing line of text here. Hmm. Um, Maybe it's like the birthplace of the hosts. It's like the. Right, like it's it's what hold or like something that you know you think of a cradle as something that holds thing holds a child or yeah hold anything really. So holding is like a key the key word here. The cradle of civilization kind of yeah situation like yeah I don't know, hmm. which I mean the idea of the cradle of civilization or whatever could be the whole reference, you know to begin. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. Yeah, no, I I think yeah, like it it, it seems like I like the idea of thinking it's like the engine that that the whole experience runs on though it's yeah. whole, it's being held together by this cradle you know or whatever yeah. like the framework well and i wonder if the reason it's down is because ford like disabled it or ford like ford is the one that did something about it or in this intervening two weeks did like dolores come in and like completely hijack right it and figure something out i don't know i guess we don't know yet but i wonder if we'll hear mention of the cradle again at some point in the yeah show. so uh, Bernard slips in time. We get back to him and Charlotte on the road, hot on the tail, finding Abernathy. They find him in the care of Rebus, who's hoping to turn in a bunch of formal wear guests in for a bounty. They lure really, Rebus is he's awesome. Rebus is great. <laughs> well, he's such a good. They lure Rebus away and reprogram him to be the quote most virtuous and quickest gun in the West end quote. And so he goes back, kills his crew, and lets the guests, including Abernathy, go. Charlotte and Bernard attempt to intercept and help Abernathy get to the train, but he's a bit of a mess and cycles to an old character who decides to recite the battle hymn of the Republic as the Confederados capture him and Bernard. Charlotte makes off on a horse, making turning Rebus into the exact opposite of what he always is right. was fantastic. It was so funny. And people have made the connection that when we see him get executed at the close to the beginning of episode one yeah. of this season, he steps in between a woman host and the execution. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. even notice So that. he's still on his virtuous... Yeah, uh, he's still running that program. Yep. That's funny. Yeah. Pretty pretty good eye to, who, to the people that caught that one. But yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Um, 
Yeah, and when when he goes to like, uh, he's like, oh, I've, we've got ten of these people, or we got nine people here. I'm going to turn them in for fifteen dollars a piece. We're going to have a lot of money. And then um, Walter, yeah, Walter is there, and Walter's like, we've got ten people. Why? Why are you only saying nine? And he's like, well, I'm going to keep one of them. And it's like the woman that he yeah. then later is like, I'm going to escort you and help you out of this. Right. Like, so that was. And she screams, "Get away from me!" Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it was good. It was quite good. I'm trying to help you. So he, yeah, I, Rebus is, I think, is one of those standouts. Like, I, I'm glad we got to see more of him yeah, here, and I for hope sure. we start seeing more of him from here on out because he's, he's good. He's a real good character. Um, but yeah, the other thing I was wondering is like the the stuff that Rebus says when he walks back up to his group. You the sick tug mistreating the gentlewomen? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Y'all too? The only ever touch a woman as gently as with petal of a rose. More than that makes you a coward. Hey, it's okay. I won't let them harm you. Go on. You're free now. I was like, was this written for him somewhere, or is he just making it up at this like, right? Like, where did that come from? Was it some like old character that or old lines that he doesn't use, or is there some trick to getting Rebus to turn into a good guy when you're a, <laughs> you're a guest and you can like get him off of his normal loop? I don't know. I think it's interesting. Uh, Abernathy does say say that he needs to get to the train, which I think is part of the like shell personality that Sizemore gave him last season to try and get him out of there. Yeah. So I think that's pretty interesting. I don't I don't know if that means that like any other host would actually help him with that quest, but at least maybe it would m- maybe he's I mean it's there's probably not much to it. He was just supposed to like get out of cold storage, go run onto the train and right. then be free. So at this point he's just going nuts. Which makes sense. Um. So next scene, Dolores meets with the Confederado general uh, colonel and convinces him to join forces after showing her power over his men, as well as the threat that faces them the following day. She presents the colonel with one of the modern P90 machine guns and has him shoot at the security guy that they dunked in the white goo in the previous episode. The colonel lets them into Fort Forlorn Hope, and Teddy ex- expresses his dismay, but Dolores explains that they will need these people to survive. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still not. I I was so rallied behind Dolores's cause and season. Yeah, one. I'm really not into her storyline at all. And and like like it's it's the clear it's the least interesting to me. And I think a lot of that deals from the fact that I I keep calling back the idea that she's still just programmed to do what she's doing. Well, that's whereas the like it seems that... like everyone else is is more autonomous. Yes, but she's just still running out her programming. That's that's what. That's what people are kind of wondering is whether or not Dolores did actually achieve consciousness or did Ford mess up and remove the choice of killing him from her and just basically made her do it. And now she's following out her Wyatt programming because she refers to herself as Wyatt here. It just it reminds me of like playing Fallout 4 and running into... I don't remember his name, but you run into him and there are instances where like he's patrolling the town and like you and him are having a conversation. But at the same time, there's like 
there's like death claws like running in and attacking people and like he runs off to attack them but he's still like saying the same line that like he was finishing off telling you yeah. you know what i mean like yep. it's he's just running program like i feel like dolores is very much the same in that respect that she's she's just like going through her motions and like that's interesting she she'll have like like other things can happen around her and she can have an effect on them. But regardless, she's always going to go back to square one and like keep going with her programming because that's what she's set to do. Unless like she's able to reach some form of like full autonomy at some, you know, when like when she figures out like, oh, I'm done with this programming or she's maybe she completes her task. And like, then what does she do? Like she's not going to reset. Like what happens from there? Well, there were people on Reddit that were talking about the idea that like Dolores is telling people about the freedom that they need to go and like take from humanity and in doing so she is conscripting them into her control essentially like yeah but then you go to somebody like Maeve who is like yes she took Sizemore but like she's she's gaining the help of like Felix and Armistice and Hector because she has this goal in mind, but she's like, oh, we didn't get to Armistice yet, but I'm really happy she rolled in. Me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to that. But like, all of them, she's she's uniting them under her car cause with like a sense of purpose, whereas Dolores is doing it with like fear and right and control essentially, which is and like horror. Like she shows Teddy, here's all the times you've died. You yeah. need to believe in me. So it's kind of like these two different methodologies of like unification. And yeah, it's uh I think a lot of it's fate and free will related. Yeah. Like Maeve is more of the free will type, whereas Wyatt, aka Dolores, is your fate. You know, she's following a predestined predestined path. Whereas Maeve is like, I'm going to find my daughter. That's what I want to do. And that had nothing to do with her programming at all. Other than she had this memory embedded in her brain. Mm -hmm. So she's not following anyone's line of code. She's doing her own thing. So she's like the only one that we know for certain is not following any programming. She's not relying on any past character. Like we still see and hear Dolores slipping through like Wyatt and old Dolores well, yeah, especially later in this episode. Yeah. So, so like, it, it, there's this sense of Dolores is still relying very heavily on these characters. She says that she's found her own voice, but it doesn't really feel like that's true. Yeah. Whereas Maeve feels like the moment she was awoken in season one, she's been Maeve. Yeah, she's, like, a totally different character now. Yeah. So there was uh, I did Google search. So if you Google search uh, Virtu e Fortuna, which is the title of this episode, there's a good comic book dot com uh, uh, article here that talks about how it's basically uh, these are like Machiavellian beliefs about the concepts that uh, that a leader must face where virtue virtue is basically virtue. And instead of like classical virtues, that actually means something more along the lines of like the qualities that make a good leader and fortuna or fortune are like luck and circumstance or the things that a leader can't control, but would overcome or help in any kind of like random circumstance, that kind of thing. Right. So I think there's some of that at play here with, 
Dolores trying to be a leader, Maeve attempting to be a leader, all of these people trying to struggle with the power, like the power vacuum that's currently in Westworld. Yeah. Kind of seeing that all come to, to play. So I think that's interesting. But if anybody else has any like thoughts about what that title means to the episode, please write in. Um, those P90s are so sick. I want one. <laughs> like I don't need a real one, but I like I like the red, the red like yeah, the red body accent that that's on the the in the the, uh, the trans gun. the translucent magazine. Yes, yeah, there, it's it's very cool, very cool design for the security. I liked when I like when she says to the colonel, she's or is it colonel? Yeah, she, or she's like, mm-hmm. you're gonna want to hold that tight. Yeah, and it, he he totally skips it up and <laughs> yeah. like just brrr, like right up and just you know. Well, that was some of the most fun at the end of the first season was watching Armistice and Hector play with oh, those. Oh, hell yeah. They're just like, oh, <laughs> like these yeah. are way better than anything we've used before. Yep. So the, the Colonel kind of has the same the same uh, same reaction to it. Yeah. Uh, next scene, Sizemore tries to convince Maeve to hide until QA conducts their park-wide sweep, but she remains unconvinced. As they try to cross the stream, members of Ghost Nation trail them. Hector speaks to them in their native tongue and finds out that he and Maeve are free to go if they insist on their current path, but the natives want to take Sizemore. Maeve believes she needs him, so they run, and Sizemore locates an elevator for them to use to get underground. Um, what do you think's up with the natives? Do you have any theories? I, I don't have any theories. I was really surprised that they didn't just start shooting bows at them, you know? Yeah. Like, or arrows, rather, using their bows. Um... Yeah, I have no clue what what that's all about. I don't know why they would. Other than didn't he? Because he created the whole. What was that storyline with the with the natives that he made? Oh, Sizemore. Yeah, Sizemore made the. Uh, oh, it's there's it's a really corny name. Something about the river. Yeah, <laughs> like can't. he's he's essentially their creator. So maybe they see him as a god or something like that. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Something along those lines. I don't know. I'm, again, just spitballing ideas here. But. Odyssey on Red River was the name of the, yeah. So you would think he would maybe have an idea of what right. what they're kind of up to, but the fact that he, like, freaks out about it, he knows that there's something weird going on. Right. Um. But, so here's the thing. I don't remember what we have talked about previously on the show, but there have been many theories out there. We knew that in season one, Stubbs got taken by Ghost Nation members, by, by natives. Yep. And we see him alive in the two weeks later timeline. Some people think he might be a host. I don't really know. But the the kind of prevailing logic and the thing that I want to believe is true is that even though we saw Bernard choking Elsie in season one... Mm-hmm. I think Elsie still got away somehow. Like Bernard choked her and sequestered her away at Ford's command. And Elsie has reprogrammed the natives to collect humans in the park and keep them safe. Interesting. I I like it. I don't have a ton of supporting ideas other than the fact that Stubbs is alive. We see Sizemore, like them trying to get Sizemore here, not killing him, as yeah. you said, but trying to collect him and take him. And then also the woman from the Raj, 
gets to the shoreline and she has the natives. Yeah, she runs into them. Yeah, so it's it seems like they have this function of finding humans, but we don't know why yet. And my theory is that Elsie is still alive and has yeah. tasked them to help. Interesting. I like that. So we'll see if that becomes true. I like I like the idea quite a bit. Um. So yeah, I don't know anything else about the Ghost Nation. They are speaking a native, an actual a, native tongue. Yeah, of sorts. it's, it's uh, Lakota, which is a native dialect yeah. of some kind. I and just I think they're so badass looking. Like they even, are really cool. like with their body paint and everything, like the half face mask kind of styling they've got going on. I think yeah. it's really cool. Yeah, no, it's 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 really like. Um, some of it's kind of like Day of the Daddy, like yeah. in that like Mexican kind of celebratory type thing, but also just kind of the, I don't know, it's very interesting. But there are some people saying that you could read what they actually said uh, if you put on subtitles. subtitles. I put yeah. it on there and it just says speaking Lakota in parentheses. <laughs> Um, but there, there's somebody who posted screenshots where it just has Hector saying, we're just passing through, we mean no harm. Then the native says, you and the woman can continue, but your friend must come with us. There's no place for him in the new world. That's supposedly on HBO Go. I'm using HBO Now. Interesting. And then Hector relays back to to Maeve. If we insist on our current path, we're free to go, but they want size more. So there's no reason to not believe it's true, but it's just kind of weird that it works on one service and not on another. On to the next scene here. We've got Bernard and Abernathy are brought into Fort Forlorn Hope, and Dolores recognizes them. She has her father taken to the infirmary and Bernard taken to the jail. Dolores visits her father in the infirmary in order to confide in him, even slipping into her old rural accent. He recognizes her and defaults to his old programming, but as soon as she starts talking to him about how he told her to run away, he starts glitching and telling her that he needs to get on the train. Dolores Dolores promises to get him help. Um cool to see Bernard or to see Peter and, and Dolores cross paths again. Yeah. Uh and, and an interesting kind of way for them to interact. It's it it is cool to hear and see Dolores slip back into that accent when she's like around her father and like accessing that part of her memory and you know interfacing with him and and dealing with those feelings and like figuring out what that all means right and it's also very fun to see as you as you were saying with the fallout new vegas situation uh abernathy has these very scripted responses to what she's saying he doesn't improvise very much at all i am bound upon a wheel of fire that mine own tears do scald like molten lead It's all right. I'm here. Dolores? Daddy. Dolores. The calves in the field, I'm worried. There's blue tones spreading all through these parts. It's all right, Daddy. I'll lead him home. Back to the ranch. Do you remember our ranch? 
way you'd welcome every morning out on the porch with your coffee. I'd wake up in my own bed, climb down the stairs, find you there, and you'd say, you had now to set down some of this natural splendor. So we keep referring back to splendor with yeah. with Dolores at least, but I don't know. It was just a very, it's a weirdly moving scene for something that you know is like a manufactured relationship. We're seeing, right. we're seeing these hosts deal with the fact that they have these familial ties, even though they're programmed familial ties. Yeah. So, and once again, I think also kind of uh, feeds into the idea that she's not fully bucked her programming. Like, she, she just kind of falls right back into it when she sits down to talk to him for that minute. Yeah. I don't have a lot of thoughts right now. I Again, I just, I think Dolores' storyline is so boring compared to everyone <laughs> else's. Like, I just don't have much interest in it, which kind of sucks because she is a huge... Uh, driving force in this season clearly she's like but they took so long to put us they took so long in season one to make us sympathetic towards the hosts and now she's like completely i just feel like they're thirsty they're just like drawing out this epic human host battle i just want to see them all slaughter each other like (laughs) when is that going to go down is it going to be the last episode there was a little bit of that in this episode a little bit yeah but um yeah we'll get to that um, and once again, Lewis Hertham as Peter Abernathy glitching. Yeah, he's is awesome. Just so good. I know that they did some digital touch up with that to like help him. Yeah, but like his really blue eyes, like they make his eyes pop in a way, and then they just have him like barely getting these words out, and it's just so good. It's fantastic. I feel like the blue eye thing is almost a dead giveaway that he's something more than just like a normal like he like there's something more he's not just a a vessel for whatever information they're trying to smuggle out of the park or whatever like he he is something different. You're speaking to the James Delos potential. Yeah, like I think that's like because nobody else like I if they're they're I mean obviously they're visually enhancing his eyes for the show yeah. I'm sure but like they're doing that for a reason. Yeah. So, well, and that's the thing. Like it's it it li- they literally put a light in his eyes when he recognizes Dolores. Yeah, which is really, it's a cool effect. But it, it I yeah I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I'm completely of the mind that he was made to be James Delos. But I certainly think the reason they're so concerned with getting the data out of the park is because Delos's data, like his consciousness or whatever, is somewhere in there. It's yeah. Probably, that's kind of where I'm more thinking of it. But that doesn't quite square up with him with him looking at the pay, at the at the photo and like that being the thing that glitches him out. Right. So I don't we still I'm wondering if we learn more there. Side note, there's some really weird stuff going on with that. Because, and I didn't mention this last episode, and and I heard about some of it on Decoding Westworld and looked into some of the articles out there about it, but the picture that they used was a stock photo up on Getty Images, and okay. it happened to be of this woman who lost one of the American, America's Next Top Model seasons. Okay. They hired her to play William's wife in that last episode that we saw. And she mentioned that it wasn't taken for a stock photo at all. 
And it turns out that the dude who is credited with the photo on Getty Images or whatever it is has a bunch of other pictures of like cowboys and samurai and western areas and like all kinds of westworldly so like, type stuff. It's like a Getty Images account that's like made to make Westworld it's content. It's like another viral like ARG thing to me. Yeah. But it like I think one of the plot lines of Future World, which is the sequel to the original movie, mm-hmm. was that there are hosts that are made to be imposters and put out in the world to help control like like there are politicians and things being copied in the park and then they send the copies out to go and have Delos have influence over the government. Yeah. And part of this feels like, oh, this is this dude who took this photo is a host that HBO put out and like it's it's like right. I think it's kind of playing into it's that very, kind of thing. Very meta. And if they pulled that off and this dude has <laughs> like a bunch of photos up there and they've been doing it for the past three years or whatever right. it is. He's got a verified account on Getty Images. God, and... that would be so incredible. But we'll see. Um so the next scene is is one with Maeve Hector and Sizemore walking in the hallway. It is not the armistice one yet, but it's basically um Hector Hector realizes that Maeve recognized the native from her yeah. past life and he asks her about it and they have this very genuine connection that kind of angers Sizemore cuz Sizemore's like, "No, I didn't write you guys to like want to have connection in your life. Yeah. I wrote you to be alone." And you know, Hector, you have love for Isabella. You you're not supposed to love anybody else. And then Hector pins him up against the wall. He says, you don't know who I am. You don't know who I am. No laws bind me. Darling, he's fragile. When I awoke in the place where you play God, I realized Isabella was a lie. Just words in my head. She's my life. She's all I ever dreamed life could be. And then there's this bit, really dampens the knickers. And when she died, the dream died with her. And I dared dream no more. So maybe I do know you. Just a bit. I don't know. It's just a very interesting, like, microcosm of the idea of like yes these two people aren't supposed to fall in love they're programmed to not want to fall in love but yet they still did however the feelings that Hector has were actually like scripted and given to him too so it's kind of this like weird well I mean if you think about it that's how like real emotions kind of work in a way I mean like for instance like you you fall in love for the first time and you have like that feeling of like you know you you learn or or you experience the butterflies in your stomach yada yada like your heart's pounding whatever and then things happen and that relationship falls apart you meet someone else who is able to ignite those same feelings in you that you had the first time around or whatever so even though like these things are scripted you know it's similar in the way that like you kind of script out those feelings in yourself yeah as a human and then well and even it could be you like emulating like i think a lot of what people are saying or what some psychologists or i don't know i'm 
pulling this out of my ass, but the idea that like you gain a lot of how you interact with a partner from the people who raise you and watching your parents and seeing right. how they interact and that kind of thing. So it's kind yeah, of, like they say, like they say, like you you can t- tell if you want to see how a man's going to treat you, see how he treats his mother, kind of yeah, thing. Like, yeah. So it's all kind of yeah that it, it makes sense. It's right. like you know like. Hector has this blueprint in him for love yeah, and women with daddy issues like <laughs> you know there's but but just because he has that blueprint doesn't and now now that he's kind of been somewhat unlocked he's able to he apply can, that blueprint to other relationships not just the one he was programmed for to begin with yeah yeah, yeah no that's that's very cool it's a very interesting and i mean same aspect. thing for Maeve too i mean she was supposed to be a prostitute you know and a loner or whatever but Clearly, like she, well, she also like tweaked all of her stats to like max. Yeah. She's like max. <laughs> she is the level ninety nine in Final Fantasy. Like yes. she is everything. So, uh, I mean, she she has reached a level of consciousness and sentience that like no one else in the park necessarily has, except potentially me. that humans don't really. The, have. Yeah, not on that level at least. The the idea of like using ten percent of your brain, you're only really actually using ten percent of it at any given time, but you use the whole brain. Like she's actually using her whole brain all the time, all the time. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. That's very good. Um. One second. Maeve, <laughs> Maeve also, Maeve mentions to, so after this whole blow up between Hector and, uh, and Sizemore, Maeve talks to Sizemore. She's, she kind of judges him for the fact he's like, she's like, did you have an Isabella? And he's like, yeah, she left me. She didn't die or anything like that. And then she's like, well, this is all very sad. You put her into a narrative so you could kill her. And then you made a man, the man that you wanted to be <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> Sizemore. Sizemore is like unwilling to acknowledge that. Yes, that's exactly what he did. <laughs> I thought that was that was pretty good. So again, proving that Maeve is on a whole different level. Yes. She's able to just dissect Sizemore like completely. Absolutely. Yeah. Or, or any human really. Yeah. Um. So then, next scene, Dolores meets with Bernard, wondering if there's any Arnold in him. She shows him her sick father and requests that Bernard fix him. Bernard wonders what Dolores really wants, and she mentions that she wants to dominate the world. She mentions the beauty and what they are, and the ki- a kind who will never die that is fighting to live, and the questions whether or not they should fight to survive. There's a lot of good dialogue in here, and basically things about... Uh, this is where the the comments of Dolores saying my whole life has been dictated by someone else someone who's been saying you will but now I feel like I've discovered my own own voice that says I may it sounds like neither of us really believe that as of yet yeah that she's fully there she's still kind of bouncing between personalities but we also learn here that Bernard has never been outside of the park or at least Dolores doesn't think that Bernard has been outside of the park he kind of comments on the fact that like oh this park is just a tiny speck of this gigantic world that you would never begin to be able to rule but Dolores is like I've seen it it's no different than here in fact it's less it's basically less violent and less challenging to be yeah. in the real world than it is to be in Westworld so I don't know I, I just think uh, it's very curious that Bernard hasn't been out there but like Arnold clearly has so 
I guess I have to correct a little bit of what I said last episode. We were commenting on the whole James Delos potentially transferring his consciousness into someone, and I said that Ford did that with Bernard. He didn't really. He just created Bernard. Right. He he created someone who was like Arnold, gave him all the same mannerisms, some of the same knowledge, and even some of the most, I don't know, some of the emotional touchstones that he knew that that Arnold had. Right. But he doesn't have all of those experiences of Arnold. He can't draw on any of those past memories because he doesn't have any of that. Yeah. So as far as we know, they have not put anyone's consciousness well, into a host as of yet. Well, that's that's kind of ties into the how I don't remember if I said it or you were talking about it, but the idea that they were not putting consciousness consciousness necessarily into a host, but uh, again, cloning these humans and uh, maybe Bernard was more of the test of how accurately could I clone someone yeah. to be as close to this original copy. Because I think we're we're led to believe that there's some time between when Arnold dies and Bernard is made. So it's not like Ford would have been able to even scan Arnold's brain to make some kind of facsimile of it. Right. He was just making it whole cloth from the technology that they had. Right. So he's like, he's some type of test or step into, can we make a conceivably imperceptible clone right. of this person out of a host? Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Now it's time. Maeve, Hector, and Sizemore meet back up with Armistice, who appears to have found a robotic arm to replace her fleshy one. I love her. She has accosted Felix (laughs) and Sylvester, who are bound to an elevator. They untie them and retrieve a grenade from underneath Sylvester's chin, presumably to make him shut up, and then they head up the elevator. But you missed the the great line that Hector says when she rolls in with a flamethrower. She has a dragon. She has a dragon. (laughs) It's very good. So good. It's very good. Um, She's yeah. just such a badass. So like, if people don't remember, there is a post-credit sequence in the finale of season one where Armistice takes a knife to her own arm, which got caught into a door when they were trying to get Maeve out of there. Yes. So the fact that she has reappeared and has this robotic arm means that she's apparently very resourceful and managed to stave off the people who were trying to kill her. She's so badass. She's really, really cool. She's um, like, it's like meeting Vincent Valentine for the first time in Final Fantasy VII. You're just <laughs> like, oh my God, I love this person. <laughs> yeah, she's she's very good. She and I think uh, the person who played Teresa Cullen in the last season, I think are both... Some type of Norwegian, uh, of Norwegian descent, uh, or like, I, I, I should have done more research on this, but the people who they managed to pull from Europe to be in this show have always been awesome. Yeah. Like they just have, they're very unique personalities and they do a lot. Like we've seen Armistice in a few different snapshots doing different things. We saw her as a sheriff um yep in the last episode she was also serving drinks at the party too but like she just has this like commanding presence about her that you wouldn't expect a beautiful blonde woman to have given like today's gender roles and stuff like that yeah 
So the fact that they put her out there and she's basically the best gun in Westworld. She's just a total all-around badass. Yeah, it's it's very awesome. So I'm glad she's back in the show. Yep. I'm also glad Felix and Sylvester are back. Yeah, they're fun. They got annoying last season because it was like, why in the hell are you doing any of what Maeve right. wants you to do? But now that we're past that and it's just them and like Uncharted or way out of their comfort zone, as Felix says. Well, and it's it's... Again, it's cool to see Maeve, who, again, is completely unlocked. She she's not. We've unlocked her. She has bugged her programming. Yeah, we, is... we've unlocked her bootloader and we've flashed a new <laughs> ROM. So it's cool to see her have a connection with previous people who have helped her, and she's still trying to help them. Like so, obviously, like she understands like human relationships and interaction. And she doesn't She's, necessarily want to like hurt them. Yeah, she. That's the thing about Maeve is that I think she ultimately realizes that like it might not all be coming from a place of like humans have a place in this world, but I think she realizes that like these people can help me, and there's no reason for me to just wantonly murder everybody that I come across. Yeah, but I also i I also think it's. I, I just think it's it is more emotionally rooted with yeah. her because because she is actually in touch with feelings more so than it seems other hosts are. Yeah, no, that's that's entirely true. So, um, Sylvester with the grenade under yeah, his chin. Yeah, that was that was funny. Was that was a good, good one. And I like Armistice. how slowly Armistice puts the pin back in, <laughs> like right in front of his face. <laughs> yep, that was good. Just taunting yeah. him. Yes, absolutely. He is super annoying, though. He's probably, like, the most annoying character in the whole show. Yeah. No, yeah, he certainly. Um, I'm curious how her bionic arm functions with her host's flesh body. Because at first I was like, oh, it's like she just tore the skin off of her arm. But she, then got it was from, like, she got it from Cyberpunk World. <laughs> so... She that one's not on the Delos website Day, yet. Deus Ex World, yeah, Deus Ex Park World, five. Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven World. Um, so no, it it makes sense that like Delos would have that type of prosthetic. Well, maybe stuff. it's it's kind of a hint to uh, Williams' bionic arms that I keep ranting about. <laughs> maybe he does actually have them, and that's, they're covered in the fake flesh, like I've been saying. That's entirely possible. So just just throwing that we'll out see. there. You will be so vindicated if oh, at the hell end. Yeah. Just, oh my god. He just like <laughs> like screws off one of his arms and puts it on the table and puts on like a cannon and he can just <laughs> He turns into Barrett from Final Fantasy Seven. I so many Final Fantasy references this time around. Yeah, you're going you're going off the wall with all the video game stuff. But that's what that's what uh that's what Tom that's likes. That's what Tom so likes, much. yeah. So this this is all for you, Tom. It is. Um Anything else about that armistice scene? I think that's all we get at that point. No, I just, I love her. The She's so awesome. Yeah. Uh, next scene, Bernard plays coy about what is stored in Abernathy's brain to Dolores. She resists his call to get Abernathy out of there, despite the fact that he's wanted and Delos will be chasing after him due to the big file that's in his brain. Dolores recognizes that Abernathy is like a mule in this scene. Like he's being used yeah. for some other purposes by humans. And she resents it and wants to fix the issue, essentially. Um, it's part of her bad programming. But it's it was interesting for me, number one, Bernard obviously starting to shake a lot more. Number two, the fact that he plays so coy with Dolores and Dolores doesn't immediately know that he's messing with her. Yeah. 
Although, no, I did just realize I went back and watched the scenes between Bernard and Charlotte in the first episode of the season. And he doesn't know that that is all the park data. She doesn't tell him what the file is. Yeah. He might be able to infer it, but he doesn't really know what it is. But he doesn't tell Dolores that he knows that there's something wrong with Peter. Yeah. He's just like, okay, I'll help you. And then he's kind of digging in there himself. Um, But it's obviously very encrypted. He doesn't have immediate access to it. So anything else in that scene? Nope. Uh, Next scene, Hale meets up with the QA suite team. They're ready to shoot her until she says she's human. And then she has them scan the back of her neck. I wasn't sure at first why, but then I realized that I think they're about around the vertebrae where there would be an explosive if it was a host. Because all the hosts have explosives in their vertebrae, in a particular vertebrae, so that if they try to leave the park, they can be blown up. So I think that's what was going on here. I think that's how they were able to identify that she's a human. What movie was it? A movie I just saw where they were that like that particular area of the neck was where they would insert the chip. Oh God! Uh, maybe it's a Dark Angel reference to the barcode on yeah. the back of her neck. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm just throwing. No, I mean obviously I, there's some be. movie I recently watched where they, they. Oh no! It's uh that new Netflix show, Altered Carbon. Yes. They get the vertebrae, that single vertebrae in the back of their neck is the consciousness that gets embedded in them. Interesting. Hmm. So. Maybe it's the greater android universe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, you know, some of that Blade Runner nonsense. Yeah. Um, So, no, I think I think they were looking for the I think it's I think that's something that detects if it's an explosive or not. Yeah. But we'll see if anybody else has any ideas right in. Like um, they bring out the skew reader, they read her barcode. They're yeah. like, "She's human. Let her go." Well, they could put that. Here's the thing: is that they could put that barcode on anybody. Like, no, if I it know. was an RFID tag, they could put an RFID. Yeah, tag they could on just any of the tattoo anybody with it. But that vertebrae being an explosive should be unique to the hosts, except for Maeve, yes. obviously. Which I was wondering if this is like a Chekhov's gun moment of this is maybe how Maeve will get past this sweep. Yeah. Is that they'll be able to scan her and see, oh, she doesn't have this, so we're going to let her out. Yeah. But then that could also lead to Bernard not making it out if he is indeed, if Ford made him with that explosive in there. Right. We don't know. So once the sweep team realize who Hale is, she overrides their orders to escort her elsewhere and pulls a team to go retrieve Peter Abernathy from Fort Forlorn Hope. Not a whole lot else here. Some people were... Some people on Reddit were confused because they thought she was they thought the scene that took place two weeks later with Charlotte Hale was in the same time frame as this because it's they're both underground and in like the darkened hallways and stuff yeah. like that. But that's not the case as far right. as I understand. So uh, next scene, the Confederado scouts report back to the colonel that the QA team is coming up from the ground. He and Dolores discuss the plan, uh, their plan. Uh, the Confederados hold the line until the last minute while they'll blow up a bunch of nitroglycerin that has been put in the ground to destroy the QA team. Pretty self-explanatory. Yep. Um, fun to see nitroglycerin come back because that was what uh, El Lazo was making a deal to get to the Confederados, but then took away in season one. 
Like he steals it back. He yep. double crosses them. Yeah. In the young William time frame. So a uh, bunch of little scenes here. So number 14, Bernard somehow successfully decrypts the data in Peter Abernathy's head, but we don't get to see what he does with it. <sighs> All right. So this is this is another great scene where Peter Abernathy's glitching. He he starts to whip out his like violent delights Shakespearean professor dialogue that he was originally giving to Ford and Bernard when he said that he was going to kill them. Yeah. And he almost has this look of recognition on his face when he sees who Bernard is and he starts saying that stuff. But then it completely leaves him again and he starts glitching, which fantastic performance to see him like seamlessly move through these different states of turn it on and turn it off. It's on a whim. So it's, it's great. Um, but then also this is when, so he freezes up and when he freezes up, the decryption comes through essentially. That's when Bernard, like Bernard's using like some utility on the Delos tablet that is like an encryption breaker. And he like keeps trying to do it and it finally breaks through. And when it does, Peter Abernathy like seizes up essentially. So I thought that was interesting. I don't really know what that means. Right. If he was like programmed with an ability to stop the decryption and then finally it like went through and he couldn't stop it anymore. I don't know. Just me spitballing, but. I just thought it was interesting that his he had like a physiological response to the right, decryption. Right. But um and this is where we see that intertwined hexagon thing again yep. when it unlocks yeah, on the it pops up on the tablet. So All right. And then this is where there's like a bunch of little scenes that all coincide with the big war that happens. So bear with me as I go through this. The QA sweep team heads to the Fort Forlorn Hope with the machine guns and ATVs in hand, but the Confederados hold their own long enough for Dolores to pull her men back and lock the gates. The colonel finally calls out for his men to retreat, but it's too late. Dolores' masked crew execute the Confederados gathered at the closed gate, and Dolores orders Angela to blow the nitro, decimating the QA sweep team. That's all pretty straightforward. Yes. In the meantime... Uh, Charlotte Hale's group, small group of QA people managed to sneak in and take Peter Abernathy away from Bernard, who hides in the corner and remains behind. He tries to escape after that in the midst of the battle, but Clementine spots him and knocks him out. Uh, good to see Clementine back, by the She's way. She's like, like, just dead. And it's really weird. Like zombie-like almost. It's really, yeah, it's really weird. Well, she's one of the, she was in cold storage. She pretty, did get lobotomized. Weird. Okay. In that first season. So she's just a drone, basically. Well, but the same thing happened to Abernathy. So it's kind of weird to me that, like, I'm still wondering what the lobotomy action does to them, what it's supposed to do. Because they put a drill up through their nose, and it does something. But they can clearly still function in some sort of way, and it didn't really do anything to Abernathy. So I'm not really sure that they figured out what they wanted that to mean in the first season <laughs> yeah but i don't know maybe they drain out all the goo yeah they just drain the goo out and then it overheats them and they can't do anything yeah they enter their death subroutine or whatever like like bernard but 
No, she's she's very clearly like <laughs> a zombie. Yeah, she's just the, she's the most zombie like out of any of the hosts that we've seen. Even the ones that have been shot in front of us. And she's like a scary life. looking chick too. I'm I'm not gonna call her scary looking, but she has a very distinctive look to her. Like she certainly looks unlike anyone else that I've seen in yeah. life. <laughs> So she's, it's she's kind of creepy. It's interesting. Um, all right. And then after the battle, Major Craddock takes issue with Dolores's deception. So she orders him and the remaining Confederados executed by Teddy out back. Craddock gets to Teddy explaining how similar they are and that they serve tyrants. And Teddy takes aim, but ultimately can't bring himself to kill Craddock. So he sends Craddock and his crew off with Dolores secretly disapproving of this act of mercy. So that was everything. <laughs> yep. That exchange. So Craddock says to Teddy, he says, I've been watching you. We ain't so different. You and I both trigger men to tyrants, except me. I know what I want, but you ain't even sure about that termagant, which is a term for like an overbearing woman or something like that, that <laughs> I've never heard. Uh, but you ain't even sure about that termagant you take orders from. I'd look at you and what I see is pathetic. And, once again, we're seeing Teddy. Teddy to me seems more aware and and woke and uh, conscious than than Dolores is because he's actually struggling with these feelings that he's having of right. everything that Dolores is doing is horrible. <laughs> so to see him make this choice to let them go feels like he's like this can almost be his awakening. I don't know. It's it's Teddy to me is the most interesting part of that side of the storyline. Yeah, because you're you're watching him cope with emotions for the first time. Yeah, in a way, and not necessarily like is is he how unlocked is he? It's really hard to know because he can't. He didn't know who Abernathy was, even right. though he has interacted with Dolores's father right. before. So he had clearly gotten the overriding update of like oh Dolores has a new dad delete old dad right but so he doesn't have all of his memories unlocked he does know that he's been killed several times and brought back so he's in this weird limbo state of like possibly conscious but possibly not yeah I mean I think it's just self-discovery he's just trying to figure out who he is He's kind of more naturally arriving at it rather rather than arriving at it from his memories, which we do see him at the end of season one fight his programming to go and save Dolores from William in um, like outside of the old chapel where they yeah. find the maze and, and William's like beating her up. He tries to go save William, I think, or save save Dolores. I think William maybe shoots him or something like that and Dolores ends up dealing with William herself but he does buck his programming yeah he remembers her heads back over there so I don't know he's in this really weird state where we don't quite exactly know where he's at yeah so all right uh next scene the woman from the Raj emerges not far from where the extraction team will eventually find the tiger that she shot washed up on the shore so this is still taking place a few days after Ford died. Yeah. But before the two weeks later where they find that tiger and are like, what is this doing here? 
So she is the reason that the tiger ended up there. Uh, as she collects herself, three Ghost Nation men walk up and menacingly look over her. They're hind- they're, they are holding a knife. One of them has a knife. Like, they're ready to scalp her or something like yeah. that. But I think it's a red herring. I think it's... Or it's just their way of forcing people into complying with them. Right. So Come with me if you want to leave. Yes, exactly. And then finally, the last scene, my favorite scene of the entire episode. Yep. Maven crew find themselves at what Sizemore thinks is the northern end of the park. After pausing to experience the snow, Maeve spots a fire and everyone goes to check it out. Just as Sizemore returns to the group after finding a decapitated Asian head, a sword-wielding samurai in the shadows charges at Maeve. Oh, God. It's so good. I'm so ready. <laughs> My body is ready for Sam for Shogun World. It's going to be awesome. I was reading something today that people were like, these hosts are designed to wield swords at a very high skill level. So it's like Shogun World is the Dark Souls of the Delos parks. Like it right. is <laughs> it is meant to be the hardest park to yeah. to live in, essentially. Because you're not just shooting at somebody from a distance. You have to literally go and fight samurai. Hand to hand or sword to sword. Which is so rad. And I'm so excited to see it happen. Yeah, it's Bushido Blade. <laughs> Absolutely. Bushido Blade. Yeah. So, um, Onimusha world. The the head that Sizemore pulls out looks like it's in like a ninja garb of some kind, which I think is was it ninja garb? I thought it had a helmet, like more of like a samurai helmet. Maybe it was a helmet. I don't know. It was hard to see because it's so dark. Yeah, I'm not really sure if it was a helmet or if it was like. I felt like you could just see like the oval of the eyes or whatever, like a typical a stereotypical. Because I thought, wasn't looks. he digging the helmet out and then he like picks it up and pulls it up and it comes up with the head. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm pretty sure it's a helmet. I think you're right. So it's just another samurai samurai buried in the snow. But I guess I'm wondering, is this an instance of the samurai making it over to Westworld or did they go too far in the tunnels and have ended up in Shogun World is my question. Did the samurai leak into Westworld or not? So we'll find out. I'm pretty sure they're just in Shogun World. Yeah, I would think so. And I'm wondering because they went through they went through the tunnels. Yeah. So and they don't know where they yeah, Sizemore is not as good a guide as he hyped himself up to be. Obviously. Well, and I would I would venture to guess that he only really knows Westworld and doesn't really know the other parks because I'm assuming the other parks had different handlers. Yeah. Well, the thing the thing that um, the idea that Shogun World is the hardest park to like survive in or would be if the hosts went nuts the fact that Sizemore is so freaked when he finds that head. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 no. We need to go back. Like, he runs up to them and is just terrified of what he right. found. So it's like he knows that they're like, oh, God, these samurai are going to murder all yep. of us. <laughs> so I'm so pumped to get to see more of Shogun World. Yeah, it's going to be sweet. I'm wondering if they'll do what they did and kind of like put this crew away for an episode and we won't get to see it until episode five or whatever. But I have also heard, and this is kind of spoilery, but kind of not episode four is supposed to be fairly long. And it's one that everybody who's seen like pre-screen copies has been like, this is one of the best episodes of Westworld that has ever been. That's exciting. So I'm super pumped for next week. Yeah, it's like an hour and 20 minutes or something like that. It's it's longer than an hour is what I know for sure. I don't know what the actual runtime is, but um, it should be good. I hope so. Yeah. 
I'm super excited for it. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not. It, I'm not going to be disappointed. I don't think. No, no. Nothing. I, nothing's really like as much as I don't like Dolores's like whole spiel. It's not disappointing to watch. Still, it's it's still entertaining. It's yeah. She's just boring. I can tell that it's heading somewhere, but the way that they are portraying Dolores versus how she was portrayed last season, it's a very clear and conscious choice made by the showrunners. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like they're using as deft of a hand when, like, Nick mentioned that Dolores was doing her cult leader shtick to win these people over. Yeah. It's not working on us, the audience. But it's not meant to. We're human. It's meant to work on hosts. Yes. But from a storytelling standpoint, you would hope that they, like... We cared about her and her plight in season one. Maybe the people who are watching the show who get it and like it are actually hosts in real life. Maybe. Maybe the dude who took the pictures for Getty Images. He's not a real person. Yeah, he's a host. I don't know. I think that's it. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this episode? I'm ready for bed. All right. We can wrap it up then. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on Westworld.fm. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, all of the other podcatchers. Check us out. You can find us, especially if you're already hearing this. We're also Westworld FM on Twitter, and you can email us at westworldfm at gmail.com. Tell us what you think of our show and share your thoughts on HBO's Westworld. We will read things such as corrections, observations, or anything regarding Westworld or our podcast. Effusive praise major complaints about our show, anything. What was the um, disruptive discord or something like that? Uh, it was dodgy discourse. Dodgy discourse. Yes. Tell us about our dodgy discourse and shoddy production values. That I mean, whatever. Yeah, we can talk about that off, off air. <laughs> uh, the Midwest Podcast Network has several other shows about video games, horror movies, and more. Check out all of our shows at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Make sure you go to patreon.com slash MidwestPodNet if you want to throw us a dollar a month. We would greatly appreciate that. Just a dollar. Yeah, that's all we need. Four quarters. If everybody listening to this gave us a dollar, we would make more than enough money to make up for the four years that are for the for the six years that we haven't been it's making like, money making it's podcasts. Like One dollar is like two Home Depot hot dogs. <laughs> or like two cost not Costco. A dollar fifty is a Costco hot dog combo. Yeah, so give us two thirds of your hot dog combo from Costco. Yeah. And we will continue making over an hour of content for you on most weeks. I'll tell you what though, that dollar fifty hot dog combo is uh <laughs> it is A plus. I think we're worth more than a hot dog combo, but I could be wrong. If you come to the Midwest and you want to hang out with us and buy me a hot dog combo, you can do so. Yeah. Yeah, that's our. If you pay us a thousand dollars, we'll fly you to Detroit. We'll fly here. We'll we'll go go eat a hot dog. We'll go get Costco hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we gotta get. I want to know how many hot dogs Nick has eaten from Costco. (laughs) Our theme music is Industrial Cinematic by Kevin McLeod, and it's being used under an Attribution Creative Commons license. That's it for our episode this week. We're excited for the next episode of Westworld, and we'll have another one of our episodes out after that. But until then, may you rest and have a deep and dreamless slumber.